You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I reach out to my ancestors and to yours, to all of those people who lived well and died well, and who met the challenges of their time in a way that brings all that is good and true and beautiful to us through these ancestral lineages. And I call out to these ancestors who hold this legacy for us, and I ask them to communicate with us, to be available to us, and to help us to learn once again how to be in good relationship with our ancestral helping spirits, how to open uh, to the wisdom and the blessings that they offer, and to do what it is that the ancestral helping spirits are here to do, which is to help the humans to remember, so that the living cannot hold this responsibility, but can hold the true responsibility of the living from a shamanic perspective, which is to learn from the past, to put it into action in a good way in the present, and to innovate for those things that the future is calling out for. And so I ask the ancestors to stand around us strong and true and to be with us and to help the living to do what they are truly called to do. And I reach into these ancestral lines beyond the humans to those energies that were here long before humans and will be here long after. And I call out to these ancestors to be with us, to help us to move our awareness beyond our human limitations and distinctions and to connect into the energies of our soul and our true nature and to call these energies forward in the day, in the everyday dayness of life to call this deep soul force energy forward and let that inspire us to create a life that has meaning for us, that nourishes our hearts and allow us to be a force for the fierce love that is required in our time if we are to be the people who are going to write a truly new story for the new world. And as these ancestors gather around us, because they do simply because we are in need and because we ask from our hearts, as these ancestors gathered around, let's do our job, which is to gather ourselves from wherever we might be in this moment, to collect ourselves and to draw ourselves and our awareness into our head. And from the next breath, draw our awareness from our head into our heart. Next breath from our heart into our belly. And from our belly, let's reach down and touch the earth and take a moment, stop thinking about five different things, stop texting, (laughs) stop doing all these things. Take a nice deep breath and give gratitude for life, gratitude for the wonder of this day and all that it brings to you, gratitude for beauty and diversity and the challenges that force us to grow, that force us to break open and become the men and women that we're really meant to be in this life. We give great gratitude to the generosity and the earth's dreaming, for it's her dream that brings life to the face of this planet. We give gratitude for the fact that in this dreaming we can change anything as long as we are still breathing. And we give thanks to the energy of the earth for the wonder of life. And with this wonder in our hearts and gratitude, let us send our energy down through all the layers of the earth, down and down and down into the very center of the earth and connect our energy there and take a moment and reach our awareness out into this energy that is the energy before, that is not yet, this energy that is pure potential not uh, under pressure and ready to burst forth, but in peace, in stillness, in silence, in darkness. That energy that nourishes, that energy that restores, refreshes, and renews. And let us reach deeply into that energy and draw it up, drawing it into ourself like the first drink of crystal clear, cool water on a hot, hot day. We draw this energy into ourselves and let it come into our body, And begin to restore us and renew us. And with the energy of the earth, let us learn 
how to be grounded in our body and on the planet. And from that place of groundedness, let us understand where it is that we stand in life, what we stand for, what it is that we are willing to die for in life. And let us build our sense of home and belonging in this territory. And let us be on in this place and in our home in a way that opens to the other, that is open to the unknown, that is open to those energies that are present in our life. No matter what we do and what we think, they are here. So let us be in good relationship with them and invite them in. Allow ourselves to be provoked by that which we do not know and do not understand, that we might grow and change and awaken to an even better version a more fuller, richer, more inspired version of who we could be. And with this idea in our hearts, let us come into better relationship with all the facets of ourself that we don't know and come into right relationship then with our environment, with the invisible world, and to reach out and connect into that great web of life that is not apparent, that we cannot sense through our five senses, but we know from our deeper ways of knowing, deeper in our heart we know, and connect into this great web of life. Find our place there in that web, absolutely essential and insignificant at the same time, and come into right relationship in this way. And with this energy settling in, our sense of connectedness and balance and wholeness and relationship, let us draw our energy up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds and up and out and into the sky and whatever weather it holds for you on this day, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up through all the heavenly bodies, allowing yourself to caress them and be caressed by them and reach out through all these energies to the highest power of the universe and by whatever way you know this energy however you conceive of it whatever name you call it reach out to it and connect with it allow it to connect with you and begin to draw this energy down into yourself into your day into these proceedings and as we draw this energy in we call in the energy of blessing we call in the energy of protection we call in devotion and commitment and generosity and all the benevolence of the universe we call in all the wisdom of the universe and the great beneficence of this existence. We call these energies in that we might be inspired, that the way be illuminated, and that for those dark, dark moments, someone can simply shine a light for us. We call this energy in, drawing it into our head and our heart and our belly, sending it down to the center of the earth and opening this space within ourselves, the center channel that connects the energies of earth and sky as humanity has been doing for thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of years. We open up and become the meeting place of these two great legendary beings, these two that come together in the big love that births this entire experience of form that we are so committed to into existence. And we ask this big love to awaken the spirit of our own hearts, to let that heart all four chambers awaken with this energy that the crucible of transformation that lives in the human heart be awakened and call up the fiery passions of the belly and the crystal clarity of the mind calling it down from above and drawing these energies together in the heart where they can dance and mix and merge and give birth to that third most sacred thing some sense some memory some understanding of why you are here and may you find in your heart the courage necessary to do something in this day large or small to bring that energy, the energy of your gifts, out into the world. And for all the spirit help, known or unknown, that each one of us has to do that very thing, I give great gratitude. May what needs to be said be said here today, and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd also like to give thanks to the spirit of the human beings that are helping me to do this show. For those of you that are listening for the first time, this show is listener-supported, which means that it is from the donations of those who listen that we can actually pay the bills, um, which is thousands of dollars every year, to keep the show free for everyone. And so um, I give great gratitude for those of you that understand that free is not necessarily a good thing. 
and that there's always needs to be an exchange of energy. And this is a deep understanding in shamanic work of how we as human beings need to orient ourselves in our lives so that we are constantly involved in the flow and exchange of energy, not standing in the way of it. And so I invite you all to do this most central of all shamanic actions. If this show moves you in your heart, I invite you to act. And so if this most shamanic thing is to allow those things that motivate you in your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And so I ask you to do something, large or small, to support the show in some way. So if you can donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. And donate any amount, large or small, doesn't matter. Um, if you're uncomfortable doing it online, you can always email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org. And I will give you a regular address for a regular old-fashioned check. But I want to give great gratitude to Connor and Sabrina and Jose, to Christy and Hamish, and all of the listeners who did donate to the show. And I want to give thanks to those of you who have been sharing the show, who have been using the teachings that you're experiencing in the show, and um, using them with others, spreading the word, sharing them in your journey circles, maybe be inspired to learn to journey. Whatever it is that you are doing, however you are engaging with this energy, I give great thanks thank you for your emails let me know how things are going thank you for your questions and particularly the ones that turn into really excellent shows so we are doing this together and i am very thankful for that this show certainly would not have continued as long as it has if it were not for you so with great gratitude to all of you and to ken at co-creatornetwork.com i give um much gratitude today for the many many things that have crossed my path that have allowed things that needed to happen to happen. So we are live here today, and today's show is about the art of falling apart intentionally. It's kind of actually a very specific show, um, but I'm doing it for several people who I know at this point in time need to fall apart. So with that said, uh, if you want to talk about today's topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in at the co-creatornetwork.com site, or simply email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org. So there's a woman in my uh, student community and in my practice as a client who um, She's interesting to me because the things that happened to her happened back in the day when no one talked about these things. And she was actually incested by her father, who was a pillar of the community. Now, should any of you now be gasping in horror because you think I'm talking about a particular person, I'm actually telling a story that is true for a huge portion of my practice, a very significant chunk of the people that come to see shamanic practitioners have this exact same story. So I'm not really talking about a person. It's just easier to tell a story if you have a character. But unfortunately, this story is true for many, not just for me, but for shamanic practitioners, therapists, people, healers, all over. Because it is sadly not a unique story. But everybody experiences things, the same things differently. And what they found along the way to support them in it can be different. And I want to talk about, about a very particular path um, many end up in. And so I'm talking about um, a person. This, is, this is also tends to happen for an older generation where there wasn't a lot of information available to them when things were happening. There was no internet. There was no Googling. You did not talk about these things. And, and what I see happening with this new generation is a similar thing of stuckness, but for very different reasons, which is they now have too much information, too much misinformation, and too many people talking about things in conversations that are a waste of everybody's time and energy. And so they're consequently creating a similar version of stuckness. And this stuckness comes, um, well, most stuckness comes for this very simple human reason uh, for contemporary people where children get stuck in a situation that they do not have the capacity as children to deal with and that they, they need to protect themselves and they do so by any means necessary. Now, we all do that to some degree in our childhood. 
what I'm talking about is people um, for whom in their childhood the very important what I call true code relationships it's actually the way I use the word archetype which is so in other words the people that were mother and father for this child violated the true code of those roles so the child is doing a good job in living out the true code of child which is being vulnerable and not knowing anything and being uncertain and having a good time anyway and learning and growing and changing but by its nature whether we're talking personally or true code wise children are dependent whether they are little tiny plants or little tiny animals little tiny bugs or little tiny people the young are dependent on their elders to help them and so when that true code relationship of those that relationship between the generations the person being the mother or the father violates the roles at this deep level of true code there is a kind of woundedness that cuts very deeply and often at a level a survival level that causes a kind of shutdown that is absolute and this is this is what I want to talk about so for example for me I, I did not have this experience that I'm describing with my parents these things happened and I did shut down but not at the level that I'm talking about today and so this is this is kind of where I'm trying to go so in our story and I'm going to tell several of these kind of compilation stories today hopefully so we have a woman who is being repeatedly incested by her father through her entire childhood until she, basically until she can find a way to leave home and this is at a time where she cannot tell anyone no one would believe her her father is a pillar of the society a pillar of the church and none of her siblings none of her family would believe her so nothing is said and she goes on in life without telling anyone leaves as soon as she can goes to school learns a way to take care of herself in her life because she knows she's going to have to do for herself that true code role of the father because the father that she had didn't do it and so this person ends up particularly in this uh, situation of the woman this woman ends up needing to fulfill her own survival in the world as a primary focus but it's also being driven by this deep deep wound of not having been protected by the person who is archetypally designed to be her protector but instead was the perpetrator um, and so there's this deep um, sort of breaking of the internal law that the soul is here to abide by and it creates a very deep kind of woundedness that um, I am lucky in my life to have not have experienced although I did experience something later in life because this kind of wound can happen for the child as I've been describing it can also happen when the dreaming that you have is betrayed by your culture now we're all actually being betrayed by our culture right now so I mean in a, in a very deep way or it can happen when one has opened themselves to true love and this doesn't happen all the time for us I mean I fell in love with a whole lot of people in my life but it wasn't all true love and I know that right but when it happens in true love and the true love gets betrayed uh, so these are places where the deeper energies that the soul responds to are being betrayed or broken or violated in some way and they can create a, a deep level of woundedness so this is this is this is the happy topic that I want to talk about today um, so the challenge here is that culturally we resist falling apart so when we've created this level of protection that I'm talking about and we all create protection I'm talking about this deeper level of protection when we create this ultimately in our healing process it too has to fall apart but we as a culture resist falling apart we here in America at least in the United States resist falling apart we don't share a cultural value for falling apart for being a mess for being out of control and for losing it we don't uh, I don't think we're alone in this 
but I can only speak for us. But if it rings true, because I know it does, and many other countries, you know, have a listen. So contemporary people, particularly here in the United States, put a lot of effort into keeping it pulled together and not looking crazy. There is a lot of history around not letting people know you're in therapy, not going to therapy even when you know you need it, just not letting anybody think you're the slightest bit off. So we don't want to be a mess in public, right? We don't want to feel that we don't have it all pulled together. Now, the tricky thing here, of course, is if you're called into shamanism, you really have to get over this cultural programming about not falling apart and worrying about that and really release the need to um, make it look like you're not going crazy. <laughs> because that's just impossible if you're really going to move into shamanism. And you have got to get past your ego need, right, to um, present a version of yourself who always has it together. So the structure and the realignment uh, that needs to happen for the heart and soul for someone involved in shamanic practice just requires that we confront this cultural programming and get past it. And so even for those of you that are just learning shamanic skills because they resonate with your ideas and your values and your living in a way I would call living shamanically, um, you know, you are also um, setting yourself up for the possibility of this exact same kind of issue of sort of a um, periodic ego death, right? And so then there are counterparts to this way of living in other spiritual practices. It's certainly not found only in shamanism. I mean, the simplest example would be Buddhism. And the reason it's the simplest example is because Pema Chodron does such a great job writing books that are accessible to all of us talking about this aspect. She writes beautifully about falling apart from Buddhist perspective. Um, for example, she says to be fully alive, fully human, and completely awake is to be continually thrown out of the nest. To live fully is to be always in no man's land. To experience each moment as completely new and fresh. To live is to be willing to die over and over again. You know, so in our shamanic world, we're not the only people engaged in this. So as you listen to this show today, think about how you actually feel about falling apart. Do you treat it as a sign that you're becoming fully alive and welcome it into your life and greet the fact that you're falling apart as this great thing that shows you're working really well, right? Or do you get stressed out like most of us do and begin to hold on, begin to grasp, begin to try to keep it together? And then for most of us, we get stressed and then we begin to play into whatever that pattern is that we have that we use to try to restore everything to normal to numb out the feelings, to deny what we're thinking, and to get things back on track. So Pema Chodron writes, we think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem. But in truth, it's that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. So my point is this, this coming together and falling apart that is a part of shamanism that Pema Chodron is writing about in Buddhism and many other writers about Buddhism that is a part of anyone engaged in, in authentic living, right? So this, this coming together and falling apart is normal for a human if we are engaged in life. And that's not really what I want to talk about today. We actually talk about that all the time. That there's really a lot, and, you know, it's not just the radio show here, there's a lot of great information available from different perspectives about how we as humans engage with this natural coming together and falling apart that is part of a human being living a full life, engaged, transforming, changing, growing, living, bringing their gifts to the world, and gaining the gifts they have to gain in this lifetime. This is, this is all part of this coming together and falling apart thing that humans do. So this information has been around for a long time because this is how human beings transform. And this is part of what ancient enduring traditions teach us. And perhaps it's why they persist and endure because they do actually help us with this. And that natural coming together and falling apart is not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about some of you out there who are doing that and who are authentically and, and deeply engaged in living a life of meaning and purpose, that you're doing your work. 
you are doing everything you can to not let your past be an excuse. It's just an explanation. And yet, something is still not happening. And so this is, this is the kind of person and the kind of place in their life when they actually need to choose to fall apart. And that's what I want to try my best to talk about today. You know, so like many shamanic healers, I see people when they are um, at, very, at the very least fed up with their options or with themselves. And they're fed up with how they are in their life or whatever, um, if not people who are completely out of options, that they have done everything and they're desperate. And that's the only reason they're seeing me and other practitioners sometimes. But the point is, I usually see people at some sort of ebb, you know, that they, 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 they know for some reason they can't quite get a hold of that they are not really in the flow of their life, that something needs to change. And to be honest, for people that are in this coming together, falling apart, ebbing and flowing of life, for most people, soul retrieval changes everything. Soul retrieval is a really powerful healing when it is done well and when soul loss is actually the problem. And for many of us as contemporary people, soul loss is the problem a lot of the time. And so a soul retrieval then is often a point for people around which their life changes. This is also true, for example, when people commit to a discipline to a practice with a kind of devotion and generosity of their heart and their time. This could be a Qigong practice. It could be um, a, a, an authentic um, painting practice like Damini talked about in her show about painting the landscape of your soul. I mean, any kind of practice that we devote ourselves to and we bring ourselves to day after day after day, any kind of enduring practice is another possibility of that, that which will uh, become something that our life truly pivots around. There are actually many things that work in this way. Um, the point is, none of them are easy. Not one of them. None of them will allow you to stay the same. Not one of them is as simple as just taking a pill every day. But they offer us the transformations that we seek. So the question for today's show is then, what is happening in someone's life when these ancient trans, uh, traditions don't work? So this is, this is really where I want to talk today, is not um, this natural coming together and falling apart of a life well lived, not this, this, this kind of healing and transformation that happens as we engage in the ancient traditions that have been fruitful for humanity over time. But what is going on when we realize that we are living our life, that we are coming together and falling apart, we are living our practices, and still something absolutely essential to who we are remains consistently out of our reach. So when I ask other practitioners, um, what do they do when the traditional practices don't work? I'm actually embarrassed by what I'm about to say, embarrassed for us as practitioners, that what the, the most common response I hear is that, well, what needs to happen happens, Christina. You know, don't you get it? And I'm so embarrassed that that's the response because, you know, the point that I'm making is that sometimes what needs to happen isn't happening. And new age platitudes really don't answer the question. Some people say, well, the person wasn't ready. Some people say, well, everything is a teacher, you know, which is another version of, well, what needed to happen happened. Another common one in shamanism is you never really know the outcome of the ritual of the ceremony, right? Or, this is my favorite new one I hear a lot of the time, well, the healing happened on a different vibratory level, right? Okay, the thing is, each of these statements is a truth. These, these things can often be true, and they are connected with a spiritual truth, granted. But I think in this particular context that I'm trying to talk about today, these truths are being abused. They're being used as an excuse to not look deeper. And I'm saying that as practitioners in, in many forms, but all of these ancient traditions, we need to ask ourselves, what is happening when things don't work? 
okay, there is always the possibility that I or the other practitioner just didn't really do a great job that day or in that session. Maybe the practitioner client wasn't a good fit. I mean, yes, that is always a possibility. And it is always a possibility that the client doesn't follow up, given those are usually what the issue is about. These are both very real possibilities. But for today's show, let's assume that both parties are doing everything that they can, that it's a good client uh, practitioner fit, and it still isn't working. So why isn't the client able to transform when all parties are truly doing everything and helping people um, the client's doing everything, the helping people doing everything's do everybody's doing good work. So I open the show with one of the first versions of this, which is the story about heart protection. You know, what happens when a child is forced in such deep heart protection so early in their life, right? That 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 very act of protection becomes the ground on which the rest of their life is built. And what is under that, what has been sent into that bunker and hidden there is, is utterly forgotten because it is absolutely required for survival. So, so the other thing that I talked about, the other version that I talked about is when true, true love is opened and betrayed. And that can be a true love of life or a true love intimately between two people. And so there's another type of person that um, I see and many of us see. Well, this is a person who has continued in life to meet every challenge life has given them. And life has given them great challenges. And no matter what they do, the door seems always to be shut to them, not opened. So these are often people with a particular gift, a really, usually really valuable and special gift that may be used in communities around different spiritual teachers. And yet the person whose gift is used again and again and again, that person is never really acknowledged fully or never really sort of brought in to the inner circle with the teacher, never really elevated to begin to receive the opportunities that they deserve. Now, there's an aspect of this, this is certainly a template um, that anyone, any woman, any person of color, any person of gender variance could say, you know, that's my life in America, granted. And, you know, what happens for you when on top of all of that, when you do bring your gifts forward, even in communities that you would expect in your heart to support you, you still don't get the coming together of things that is merited by your hard work and by your risk of bringing your gifts forward, by your generosity of sharing your gifts with people. And yet the situation, the dream somehow gets betrayed again and again. So this can happen for us when we're older in life. So there's what can happen in early childhood, but there's what can happen, especially in our young adult life. And that there's this kind of dreaming heart part of ourself that just gets betrayed one too many times, that gives everything and opens, shares, is generous, does all the right things, and yet it never comes together. And there, sometimes they even end up being scapegoated. I mean, it's just, it's painful to watch. And thus, this, this part of themselves gets put in the bunker. And then another version of this story has more to do with the sort of shaping of the identity. So often early childhood is not so bad. But as they move into the real sort of shaping of the, of the personal identity in the early teens, into the teens and the young adult life, where the world, the story told by the family, the story told by the school, the story told by the religion, the story told by the culture, 
all completely sync up and appear from the perspective of the person to be a constant source no matter where they turn of judgment of shame of blame the person's never good enough no matter what they do it is insufficient and so there's this sense of the identity when the person actually knows in this moment you know like bringing home a report card with straight A's and the response is well your sister did better than that or well this is getting boring or, or something where the actual excellence the person knows they've achieved is not acknowledged and reflected back to them and this can happen especially when all of the systems line up in their message see for most of us the systems don't actually all line up you know you get one message at home another message at church another message from the culture and so you begin to find your champions and your mentors and the reflections for who you are in the other places but for some people that message of blame and shame and judgment lines up and I don't mean their perception of it the actual message they are given verbally so this isn't perception I'm talking about reality this is the kind of thing their parents said all the time which echoed the kind of things their crappy teachers said all the time which echoes exactly the version of some sort of very judgmental version of religion they had to sit through all the time and consequently they made you know moved through their culture and were simply received the same kind of judgment all the time and this kind of person who's a person who has received this kind of constant blame and judgment can also end up shoving some parts of themselves into the bunker. So these, these are the kinds of things that we're looking at. Now granted, on a, on a lesser intensity, we've all experienced all these things. But I'm talking about how this can happen to some people at such an intensity that it really fractures something really in the spirit of their heart and that to protect themselves that energy goes into the bunker okay so part of the reason I think this is happening right now is that today around us in the world you know we're not living in the dark ages I know there are days you swear that you do but we're really not and we're not living in a time of famine and plague. Well, we actually are living in a time of famine and poverty. But anyway, my point is with that, we are also living in a time when you can see examples around you of truly inspiring lives, really great li lives of great generosity and inspiration, like the kid who's made this thing that's going to clean up the plastic in the ocean. I mean, just inspiring things great creativity great celebrations of life I mean amazing people around us and I think part of what happens is that this fact of these people around us creates a stark contrast so it creates a contrast for those who are suffering in this combination of this deeply soul violating trauma that they experienced early in childhood and this sort of judgment and shame that's come as they moved through the school system and religious systems and then there's this culture that we all share that has utterly failed them in developing um, a soul force um, and so they choose to bunker a part of themselves and I don't mean they shove it into the shadow or the way we bury our truth or the way we closet our deepest passions or the way we pass as normal people we all do of this do this to greater and lesser degrees at one time or another throughout our life welcome to being a contemporary human that aspect of life sucks and we all have to learn how to deal with it and hopefully gain skills to stop doing it what I'm talking about today is how do you help yourself if you're one of those people who does all of the above on top of the bunker you know, you've built an entire life just like everybody else but it's actually on top of parts of yourself that you've buried so I'm not talking about a storm shelter I'm not talking about a basement symbolically I'm not talking about these places we create within ourselves that we can retreat into and then reemerge when that storm of life is over I don't mean dissociating that you can come back when the pain is over I mean burying 
a part of yourself, entombing it, and then building the basement on top of that bunker, and then building your rest of your life on top of that basement. So these people need, when they become conscious enough and have done enough healing to really reach and want the fullness their heart promises in their life, they need to intentionally fall apart. In other words, they need to get to the bunker and break the code. They need to get in to the bunker to get to the aspects of themselves that have been protected by being shoved into that bunker and then completely forgotten. And these aren't lost soul parts. They're not somewhere else. They are aspects of ourselves who are hidden inside of ourselves behind these blast doors of the heart. When a person suffering and desperate creates this type of energetic bunker, then they shove the aspects of themselves there into the shadow, or they bury their truths, or they closet their deepest passions, or they pass as normal people just like everyone else. In a life they have created, like our lives, that, it, that exists entirely above the bunker. And I believe that this is part of what happens when we experience this kind of extreme childhood loss that goes unrecognized and untreated, or this extreme damage in our life that goes unrecognized around true love. Whether it is true love of a dream, true love of a person, but this place where our heart later in life becomes as vulnerable and as risking of the unknown. This is what happens in true love, as what happens just naturally by being a child. And when that is violated seriously, intensely, repeatedly, people make bunkers. So if you're starting to sense that I'm actually talking about you, (laughs) or not just someone you know, but I'm talking about you, you know, how would you use your shamanic skills to confirm this sense of things? So before you investigate further, let's test your truth of whether or not you've actually done the things you need to do, right? So have you done the soul retrievals, plural, that most of us need to do? Have you done the cleansings or extraction work that you need to do? The ancestral healing we most need to do these days. Are you participating in regular energetic cultivation of your energy body? Are you working with your helping spirits, however you conceive of them, in some authentic way every day? Um, Are you practicing some sort of daily discipline, yoga, qigong, some sort of breathing practice, some sort of meditation practice that is moving your body and your spirit in a way together? Are you eating the correct diet for you and your body and the life that you live? Are you doing what you love, something that has meaning for you? So those are all the basics. We talk about that on all the shows. There's like 300 shows about those things, right? So all the stuff. If you're doing all that stuff, then maybe this is – if you're not actually doing those things, then you have no idea if you're bunkered. We know we're bunkered when we're actually doing all those things. And the traditional prescription for living a good life, uh, um, a rich and full and meaningful life, isn't happening. Right. Okay. So let's assume you are doing all those things and you're still getting a sense, crap, this show is about me. So how would you use your shamanic skills to confirm that you have created a bunker? Because the whole point of the bunker, right, is you're the last person to know you did it because your entire life is built on its non-existence. Okay. So first, you would need to take time to become extremely familiar and clear about what your heart actually wants in your life completely, your whole life, what your heart wants in your physical life, in your sensual life, in your sexual life, in your emotional life, in your mental life, in your dreaming life, in your spiritual life, the whole thing, the whole story of what your heart wants, which means you need to behave in a trustworthy fashion towards your heart and absolutely unconditionally accepting if you want your full heart to communicate with you. Um, And this may not happen in one quick little meditation. You may need to pray for it at your altar every day. You may may need to journey to ask some questions to clarify things. You may need to write and read it again and speak it and see if it feels right and rings true. You may need to create some images. I mean, you may need to work at this for a while. But until you are intimately and vulnerably familiar 
with what your heart truly wants, you won't have the perspective needed to know whether you've created a bunker. So then you need helping spirits, right? And in particular, it would be really helpful if you had some true ancestral helping spirits. But basically what you need is helping spirits. You need the ability in your everyday life to contain sacred space. So, in other words, let's say that you're, you're a parent with a spouse and kids, and both spouses are working. Kids are doing, you know, going off in different directions all the time. This means you would need to have a space, a literal physical space and time to be left alone to be able to be in that sacred space and uninterrupted. So that might take some work in your family, your home situation to figure out how am I going to actually create sacred space I can enter into and be allowed to simply be. The other thing is, is you need to be contained by community, a community that understands that you actually need to fall apart and that they will not have a desperate need to put you back together. They will not provoke you, Right? They're not going to poke you with a stick when you're already bloody, right? But they're also, even though you are, then patch up your bloodiness and then actually ask you the question you don't want to be asked. You know, people that are going to accept your process and be in it with you, not need to put you back together, but will encourage you to keep going as long as it takes and as deep as you need to go. It's nice if that community has a leader that knows what you're doing, who can kind of be a lighthouse for you in case you really lose it. But that's not necessary. It's, it's, it's lovely. But if you have all the other things on the list, it's not necessary. And the problem with this kind of leader is they can become the problem. And that's why it's nice if there's someone you can really trust who can be that role in the process, but they're not required. And they could be problematic. So when you have all those things, one through five, then you can journey and ask, what would I gain if I were able to crack the code and break into my bunker? You also ask the companion question, what would I lose if I were able to break the uh, crack the code and break into my bunker? So then you would look at the totality of those two answers, right? And those two answers then in relationship to the answers you were given about what your heart truly wants, your understanding of what your heart truly wants. And in, and in working with those answers and your understanding of what your heart truly wants, you should be able to confirm or deny the presence of a heart bunker. Uh, mostly by the sense that once you've got all that information that you're working with, you're seeing the big absence. Because the, what the heart bunker you know, it's like you can't see the bunker, but you can see the hole that the bunker creates. I guess that would be the simplest way to say it. M mean, quote unquote, see. See as in see that in the um, answers and in what your heart wants. And your inability in your life to make what your heart wants happen in a particular way. Okay. So far, so good. So that's how you would know. So let's say you realize, okay, crap, I've made a bunker. I have bunkered myself. Okay. So there's a couple ways then that we want to approach cracking the code to get into the bunker. And before I go here, I want to say I'm really serious about the list I just gave you. If you do not have the ability to know what your heart wants, if you do not have working relationship with your helping spirits that you can journey to, right, not just talk to yourself, but journey to, that you have the capacity to contain sacred space in your life whenever you need it, and that you have a community, and that you can get an answer to these two questions. If you do not have those things, do not continue. You can listen to the show, but do not do this. Because, well, because it's, um, well, the beautiful thing about it is for most of you it won't work. Because, because the power of the bunker is protection. It is deep, intuitive, wise heart protection. And for most of you, you won't be able to crack the code and get into your bunker if you really don't have what you need for that process to run its course. That's the beauty of it. But 
people are so um, unstable these days because they lack energy practices that I see people making very unwise decisions and jumping into processes they've listened to on a podcast, even when they don't have the basic safety mechanisms in place. So I don't know. But anyway, that's my point. If you don't have those things in place, do the work to put them in place. Then do this. Okay, so sometimes this bunker experience is what I call valence healing. Um, In other words, the way to understand it is if you think of a small sphere that is the bunker that's in the center of your heart and the entire life is happening from the outside of that small sphere to the much larger sphere that is your whole life. So let's say when we first wake up, we're on the outer edge of that sphere, going la, 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 you know, pretending that I don't have shadow stuff, I haven't hidden my truth, I'm not passing as a normal person, and I haven't hidden my greatest passions, right? And I'm out here on the outer edge of the big sphere. But as I start gaining skills and doing practices and transforming, I start moving deeper in, deeper and deeper and deeper into myself. And eventually I get in, and I feel my heart, and I can begin to work with my heart and do you know, good clearings, gain new skills, change my life. It's all good. And then, you know, that that transformational piece we're really looking for, we end up sort of hitting the same wall again and again. And so that at that point, we're bumping our transformational head against the bunker. So we've made it into that tiny inner core that those are those aspects of ourselves that we truly need are inside. And one of the things about the nature of the bunker is you cannot have someone journey into the bunker and drag those parts out because the bunker is a protective energy that you have created in the center of your heart and to do that would require an act of damage, an act of sorcery on the shaman's part even though they're doing it quote unquote with your permission. So this is something a shamanic practitioner can support you in doing but it is something you need to do yourself and I mean it can happen in a in a larger experience but you can't just ask somebody to go in there and do this for you it is it, it because it will again be a violation of the code of your own heart that's that's the trickiness of this whole bunker thing I'm trying to talk about okay so now so let's describe, let's say you've got this already. You've been banging your head against your bunker for far too long. You don't actually maybe even know it's a bunker, but you're ready to go. So these are the things you need to be prepared for. You will almost without a doubt humiliate yourself. It's enormously humiliating to get yourself into a situation in your life that will create the kind of emotional cracking that will crack the code of the bunker and allow you in or allow what's inside out, however you want to look at that. And it will be humiliating once it happens. But at the time it's happening, it's the only possible reality. So in other words, it's like falling in love with exactly the wrong person and going on and on and on about this person with your friends. And then when they all finally meet the person, they're, they're shocked and appalled. And this isn't just like that that man or woman you keep dating. This is more like all of a sudden the person you've arrived with Hannibal Lecter, right? Okay. So be prepared to humiliate yourself. You've got to stomach humiliation. You've got to be ready to stomach your fears. Again, the bunker is built of protective energy. You will have to face your fears down and do it anyway, right? You're going to have to stand completely contrary to your false self. And do it anyway, right? And you are going to have to be ready for that possibility that you will lose your way, which is the reason that you um, need other helping spirits ready to work with when you lose your way. So I have just named four things the typical American will not do. They will not intentionally humiliate themselves. Uh, I know that's hard to believe when you look at all those videos on YouTube, but people don't usually set out intentionally to humiliate themselves that badly. 
right? So you're, you're about to intentionally humiliate yourself, right? Face fears you don't want to face and have not yet been able to face. And you're going to have to go head to head with your false self, which most people can't do. Right. So you need to be prepared for that. And the average American won't even go there. Right. So you need to be ready for the possibility that you will lose your lighthouse and possibly your community. That that can happen. You may become someone for whom you realize this beautiful teacher and this beautiful community actually can't handle you if you open your bunker or can't handle the craziness necessary for you to open your bunker. Um, if you're ready, if you're ready, you're at that point of no return in your process, then you'll actually be fine if you lose your teacher in your community, right? If you're not already at that point of no return in your own process, your bunker breaking process, then it's very possible the process will stall out and you'll have to begin again in the future. And, and you just have to trust that because again, your own deeper, deepest protective instincts are actually guiding what's going on. So if you're already underway, though, and you're past that point of no return, you can keep going if you lose your teacher and your community and or your community. But you'll need to compensate in your own life and upgrade quantum level your own energy around containment your relationship with your body, your energy practice, your creation of sacred space in your own life and your use of it. And you need to understand in this, your two greatest allies are your body and its wisdom and your helping spirits, particularly ancestral helping spirits and their wisdom because you will lose your way. I mean, this is the important thing about recognizing you're trying to crack code that is foundational. It's like your understanding of the earth, like your whole life is built on that. It's as if su suddenly you're going to change the laws of gravity. Like that's the kind of thing that you're doing. So the point is your two greatest allies are your body and your helping spirits. If you've cultivated those relationships, um, then you are good to go. If you haven't actually cultivated those relationships, you shouldn't even be thinking about doing this. Right, So you can use your shamanism to keep reestablishing your footing on the path when you get slammed by doubt or humiliation or fear. So those things are going to keep coming up. Your natural instinct is going to be to try to fix them. And instead you need to journey about them. And you're going to enjoy the most amazing series of very crazy logic, trickstery kind of answers. But that's the point of what you're doing. Right, So just know, though, that you can use your journeying to refine your footing on the path, even if it doesn't make any sense to your normal brain. You need to work your altar practice in the morning and in the evening to really contain the process with your prayers, with your asking, you know, that you will run the course, that you will crack the code, you will get what's inside that bunker. And that also grounds your practice, each day reconnecting um, for the process to begin in the next day. You need to pay attention to your dreams. And as you can see, uh, for most of us, um, if we're going to fall apart, we need to then essentialize our life. So if all this stuff is going to be happening in addition to your everyday life, most of us would need to simplify our life to consider doing this. Now, two things. Some of you are going, great, I'll take a vacation and do it in my two weeks off. No, you won't. Because if you set a timing, an artificial timing, you, you, it will be an artificial process. It will take whatever time it takes. Right? The other thing is it's important that you don't stop your life. And the reason for this is, is because you're not your life's purpose. You have to have a life if you're going to also have a life's purpose. And this is something that Viktor Frankl is famous for having said. <clears throat> He's a psychiatrist and a survival of the concentration camps in World War II. And what he said is you can't achieve your life's purpose by trying to achieve your life's purpose. It's like, to, it's like trying to fix your relationship by working on your relationship instead of going to doing things together to build the relationship. Your relationship with your life's purpose is certainly a primary relationship, but it's a relationship. You are not your life's purpose. And so the reason that it's important to not think you can um, bail out of your life to go do this is that you will not have the perspective needed 
In other words, why am I doing all of this insanity to break the code and get into the bunker? If it were not for my life, for my love, and for my heart, and if I have stepped away from all of that, I've lost my reason, and I've lost my sanity. And so if you're going to do it, if you're going to crack the code and break the bunker to find a way to do it in your life. So I want to thank Pema Children for her enormous support for this kind of process. And she says, as human beings, not only do we seek resolution, but we also feel that we deserve resolution. Whether or not we deserve resolution, we suffer resolution. We don't deserve resolution. We deserve something better than that. We deserve our birthright, which is the middle way, a state of open mind that can relax with paradox and ambiguity. And there's nothing more paradoxical and ambiguous than deciding to crack the code and break your bunker. And I want to give thanks to the helping spirits that would help us to do that. And thanks to the helping spirits that have joined us here today. Thanks to the ancestral helping spirits that have gathered around us, to the earth below and the sky above, and to the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.